This is Michael Zuber, and I just wanted to thank you for listening to my One Rental at a Time podcast. Did you know that I took the time to document the entire process I used to learn my market and actually still use today? I released it as a $199 online course via Teachable, and it is called How to Get Started One Rental at a Time. With that, you get access to my private Facebook group and can join our group mentoring calls every Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific. You can find it on my website at onerentalatatime.com. Now on with the show. Hey, everyone. It is Monday. You know what that means. It means we start our expert series, and we always start strong with Greg Dickerson. How are you doing? Doing great, Michael. How are you? Excellent, folks. As we get started, do Greg and I a favor. Give us a quick thumbs up. We want to uh, help this video out. And as Greg uh, Grant Stefan says, that uh, you got to get more thumbs up early. So I'm going to ask for that. And if you like being a part of this series, Make sure to subscribe and check out the playlist. We have hours of interviews with Greg there that you can go back and watch. And uh, he provides amazing details every week. So, Greg, thank you very much for doing this. I have so much fun every week. Yeah, it's good to be here. And, you know, Michael, you've got an HD camera now, so you guys can compare the before and after. <laughs> thank, thank you for pointing that out. That was fun. We hit you 10, look 000. a lot younger today, I thought. I, was, I didn't know what was going on. Oh, you are so funny. You know what we're going to do today is we're going to attack a topic in two parts. So we're going to have a part A and a part B to this series, folks. So if you like part A, stay tuned for part B. It will be a separate video. But I think there is going to be tremendous opportunity ahead. And unfortunately, we have to get through some pain first. So why don't we start positive? Why don't we start with the upside? Greg, when you look out to next year, whenever that is, middle of next year, late next year, when the economy is going again, we've got the, the election behind us, we have uh, a vaccine or at least treatments that take death off the table for the most at risk. You know, where do you see the greatest opportunity as we start another bull market? So, you know, there will be recovery and there's going to be a lot of areas, you know, for opportunities depending on how they look. But obviously, uh, reopening a business. So there's going to be a lot of empty spaces, restaurants, retail, things like that. that are going to be um, available and you can cut some really good deals. So if you're looking to open a business, start a business, reopen a business that maybe you closed, um, you know, you'll be able to get some really great deals on spaces, on different kinds of spaces, whether it's office, retail, restaurant, whatever it is. Some of them might even be turnkey upfit, ready to take over so that you could get open very quickly. And, and there'll be some real incentives from the landlords to get people in and get businesses back opening again. So that'll be one opportunity, you know, right there is to take over some vacant spaces. There will be some distressed real estate where that's gonna create opportunities to, you know, walk in and take over some assets, <clears throat> you know, so maybe you can do a subject to, you know, deal where you take title to a property and then do something with it, either sell it or lease option it, or, you know, renovate it and flip it, whatever you wanna do. Um, there'll be some opportunities to jump into some commercial multifamily deals where maybe they need a little equity. If you've got some cash uh, to put to work, you can come in and provide some liquidity and uh, get some ownership and some nice assets that way. Uh, and then, you know, there's going to be just general opportunities as the economy continues to change and we continue more towards this, you know, e-commerce, virtual economy, online marketplace that's out there, uh, depending on where you come from, let's say if you lost a job or something like that, there's a lot of different ways that you can leverage your skill sets and your expertise into the new economy moving forward in the world of e-commerce and the virtual uh, economy that uh, that we have right now. Yeah, I think there's I think there I'm really excited by the opportunities that I see in 2021. And and frankly, 
you know, I think, I think some of the opportunities that are going to be just amazing, we won't see because they'll just be, we're like, oh, that's a great idea somebody had, right? There's been, you know, if you go back and I've researched the Great Depression, there were a lot of millionaires created in the Great Depression, right? Everybody starts struggling and then you have a great idea and you just move forward. One of them that I'm, I'm betting on is because of the pain in the hotel sector. My, yeah. my sneaky suspicion is, I don't know, sometime late next year, there will be some cities, and I'm looking at San Francisco specifically, that have too many hotel rooms, and they're going to go, you know what? We've talked about affordable housing for decades. Let's change the rules and regulations and allow somebody to take over a shuttered hotel and convert them to studios, or maybe they make them one bedrooms for some kind of minimum square footage, so they, they merge units together. But I see some pretty... I mean, I see some opportunities for cities if they think ahead to tackle some really big problems. And that will include with some investors, right? Just again, taking shuttered hotels and turning them into affordable housing, I think is a is something that's coming or maybe that's a hope, but I think it's gonna come. What do you think? Yeah, hotels, office buildings, senior living facilities. So there'll be a lot of adaptive reuse going on, retail spaces, you know, exactly. turning into other uses. Affordable housing is a tricky it's a different tricky conversation, you know, and there's not usually a lot of appetite for that. And, you know, that will take a, a big movement on the part of, you know, local, state, federal governments to kind of help fund, you know, those types of things. And then, you know, the question is how sustainable is that long-term? So that's a great, you know, it's a great idea. And, you know, a lot of different cities are, are trying that all over the country. And it's, you know, we haven't found a good solution to affordable housing yet. Yeah, I totally agree. That's why I hope they take a shot. I mean, you're going to have, you're going to have, I don't know, what's the average hotel room? 200 square feet, 180 square feet, something like that. They're not very yeah, big, yeah. right? But yeah, you know, small. if you put them together, you know, you could have a 400 square foot studio. I mean, if you really want to get out well, for affordable housing, think different. Yeah. 400 square foot. That's a penthouse in New York, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, micro apartments are a thing. And that was something that was very popular before the pandemic. You know, a lot of people living in urban centers that didn't need a lot of space and, you know, um, converting old hotels into apartments. So that's been done and is something that's being done, especially the garden style travel lodges, you know, yeah. two story buildings, exterior entry. Those are real easy conversions. So that is something that's being done. Uh, it's great. It makes great student housing. It makes great affordable housing and it makes great, you know, market rate housing in a lot of areas as well. So the question is, what's the demand? Um, what are the incentives going to look like? And depending on, you know, the administration next year, you know, a lot of those tax incentives of real estate and affordable housing and stuff might go away, yeah. you know, because the tax code is going to be under attack you know, to try to raise revenue to do some of these things. But if you think about affordable housing, well, it's generally tax incentives that provide um, the incentive and the opportunities for people to do affordable housing. So if you take that away, you got to do something else. And modern monetary theory, you know, is one of those avenues that people say, look, the government can just print money, build and provide these things for the public. And, you know, it's essentially free. Yeah. The other thing, again, I, I, some of this, I will admit, is wishful thinking or, or playing a, an interesting game of chess without all the pieces. I take that. But one of the things I just read in Gap, right? Gap, the retailer, mm -hmm. they, they came out and said, basically, they're going to exit malls and they're actually going to go standalone, right? So I, when I think of retail, I think retail is going to change going forward, right? Maybe it's yeah. less about malls. It's less about bringing everybody together. And it's more about... I, 
you know, Gap is going to go take a 2000 square foot building on some nice corner and make it an experience, right? It's the Gap experience. It's not diluted mm -hmm. by all these other stores. And, you know, Gap, may, Gap is a first mover. It's the first retailer that I've heard talk about it in this pandemic or health crisis. And I'm like, you know what? There could be something there. And again, if you are a developer like yourself, Greg, looking at that, you know, maybe you have to think about building strip malls different or building, you know, I mean, just that idea from the gap could cause someone like you or your peers to go, man, I could take a dirt lot and make it, you know, you know, two, you know, gap like stores gap here. And then, you know, Nike over there or two competitors. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's just a lot of stuff that could be coming our direction, I think. Yeah, it's interesting. The indoor mall, you know, is becoming a thing of the past before the pandemic, you know, and I don't, I don't really understand why I like our mall. I like, you know, but it's expensive real estate for retailers. It's very difficult for them to thrive and, and survive in. And, you know, the institutional owners of these assets have driven rent rates through the roof to where mm. they just don't make any sense. Yeah. So first thing you got to think of as a developer, like, you know, a lot of people think I'm going to get into development, you know, make all this money and squeeze every nickel out of real estate. You know, if your tenants aren't successful, you're not going to be successful. So your first motive should not be able to, should not be to squeeze as much money as possible out of a tenant. It should be, how do I put a tenant in business and keep them in business so that I can, you know, uh, maintain a cash flow and be successful in the property. So that that's one end of the spectrum in terms of, you know, it's an interesting conversation. Why is the indoor mall in and of itself dying? And why was it dying pre-COVID? What, what is it about that? Now, what is doing well? Lifestyle centers, outside environment. And some of that is partially enclosed. Some of it's exterior. Those malls and centers, you know, were doing well. And then of course, you know, neighborhood strip centers have been on the rise and, and they're doing extremely well a freestanding single tenant um, gap, I'm not so sure that is sustainable. Okay. Um, I, I could see it in a strip environment, you know, outdoor strip environment, like you said, with a couple of the retailers, like an outlet center or something like that. Mm -hmm. But I just can't see gap. I, I don't think they have a big enough demand or market share. I mean, weren't they in bankruptcy and just are trying to come out of it? Yeah. Yeah. Again, this is just something they just put out. Again, they're going to consolidate footprint, less footprint, more focus. I mean, it's, it's a play, right? It, I read it last week. So it's, it's just coming out. That makes sense. But putting, putting a gap, you know, freestanding on a street corner, I don't, I don't think that's going to do anything for gap. I think, you know, if you've got it where there's other retailers, that makes a lot of sense because where people right. go, where there's more of, yeah, it's not a Walgreens, it's not a Walmart, it's not a grocery store. So I think that, I think that is a bad move and I would not sure. be a developer that would want to put a gap <laughs> you know, in a single tenant net lease situation. Very cool. The other thing they talked about just to wrinkle this together is they're going to go far more e-commerce, right? That we've seen that become a thing, mm -hmm. right? And I'm wondering, yeah. right? I think you and I talked months ago about Amazon buying JCPenney's because they wanted to turn them into Amazon fulfillment centers, right? Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if the gap is going, hey, you know what? Let's go, let's go take a, I don't know, four or five acre plot of land. Let's put our distribution center in the back and then we'll have a, you know, a freestanding store up front. Again, I read an article, I'm just guessing, but I mean, there's lots of ways you can kind of tie all these things together, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, it's interesting. I, there is still going to be a certain segment of the population that will not buy everything online. And I'm one of them. I, you know, I tried to order shoes online. I don't like it. I like yeah. to try, go try my shoes on, turn them back in there because then you got to hassle. They, they're not supposed to charge you for restocking fees than they do. Then you got to make a phone call for a $15, whatever, you know? Yeah. So there's a certain amount of things that people still want to go touch, feel all that, which basically becomes storefronts for their e-commerce business because, yeah, you know, exactly. hey, if you don't have the right size, we can order it for you. 
Yeah. Um, you know, that kind of thing. So it's, it's interesting, you know, how it's changing and where it's ultimately going to be. But, you know, I'm, I'm not a fan of and never really have been a fan of freestanding single tenant net lease because okay. you've got one tenant and when they're gone, it's very difficult to backfill that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. So something else I want to kick around, it's you actually brought it up when you were first laying this out is, is the bill is the ability to come in as new equity, right? Mm -hmm. There are deals that have been put together in the last couple of years that are probably already in technical default. And at some point, <clears throat> financial institutions will make a call. Some of them will just replace the operator and, you know, extend and pretend, but some of these deals are going to go, nope, we're going to take them back. And Mm -hmm. If you're in the network of these financial institutions, you could come into some pretty sweet opportunities, right? Yeah, yeah. We were talking about CMBS one time, and I think one of your people left a comment the, asking, you know, why would a lender declare a perfectly good performing property in default? Because they want it paid off. So that's the first step. If you want, the, if you want your property paid off, you put it in technical default which there's a lot of different ways a lender can declare a property in technical default, even though you're making the payments. If your balance sheet changes, if your you know, whatever changes, um, you know, you can be declared in default and they can call your loan due so that you'll pay it off. So that's why a lender would do that to an otherwise good asset. But yeah, I mean, there's already, you know, I get phone calls regularly from brokers and other investors that have properties that they're looking to just give away. Hey, just take over the debt, wipes out all the equity investors you know, when that happens, but they're, you know, they're willing to turn over the asset. You just, you know, just take over the loan as is. The problem is with a lot of those deals, what's the underlying loan? With interest rates where they are now, what I'm seeing a lot of multifamily deals that have assumable loans, man, they're at four and a half, five percent, whereas you can get three, you know, two, two point eight to three percent on some of these multifamily assets. So it's very expensive to step into these deals and try to make them work now moving forward. You know, especially if there's any kind of an equity raise that you have to put on top of it. Mm. Um, so a lot of people are trying to get rid of these assumable loans where the interest rates are in the fours and fives and they're not having much luck right now. Yeah. So again, just talking, just trying to talk this through. So if, if you, if somebody in your network, uh, I'll just call it a bank for lack of a better term, calls you up and says, Hey, I have this asset. Uh, we're going to take it back. Uh, would you take it over for the loan balance? In today's world, you would want that loan balance recast and the rate set at current market instead of just assuming, correct? Exactly, yeah. And that would mean that would mean the previous owner, there would actually have to be a foreclosure then, right? Because you'd have the bank would have to officially take it back. Well, not necessarily. It could be for an assumption, yeah. So either you step into the shoes and you just you just take over the loan. Mm -hmm. Um and the bank could potentially, if it's a portfolio lender, you know, rework that loan. Okay. So that's one scenario where they wouldn't have to actually foreclose. You just okay. do a loan assumption, you renegotiate the loan term and the rate and do all that. That can be done at the local regional level. When you get into these CMBS deals and stuff like that, and you know, agency debt, that's not going to happen. Yeah. You got to watch so it out. So at that point, over. you're either assuming existing terms uh, or the loan needs to be paid off. And then there's usually a prepayment penalty that's significant. Mm -hmm. So the sellers, you know, don't want to do that from a buyer standpoint doesn't make sense. Why would I pay more, mm -hmm. you know, for the asset just to get a lower rate? Uh, unless it makes sense, then, then, you know, you might do it if there's competition for the asset, it's a good enough asset, but you know, that's kind of how that works. You know, it mm -hmm. just really depends on who has the debt yeah, and what they're, what they what they can and what they're willing to do. Yeah. And, you know, having worked with a couple of financial institutions on multifamily deals last crisis, uh, they get really flexible when the asset is um, not being treated well. 
Uh, yeah, especially smaller banks. You know, smaller banks, if it's if it's a bad loan, they want it off the books. They just want it gone, mm-hmm. um, you know, because that affects their ability to lend. So whenever you have a loan that's in default, um, you know, that goes on to the, you know, into the special servicing arm of the bank. That's, that's a black mark and takes, you know, uh, the amount of money that they can lend, you know, tenfold out of the equation. So if it's a million dollars, then that keeps them from lending 10 million bucks. Yeah. So let's talk about single family. I think there's going to be tremendous opportunity in single family. I think it's going to be very, I I think there's going to be like 10 markets, maybe it's 15 that are really hit like Las Vegas, San Francisco, New York, you know, the big urban cities we've talked about all this time. Single family housing market. Yeah. Single family. Yeah. And where I'm seeing the pain in these markets is they're going, you know, unemployment, for example, in San Francisco is over 12%. In Vegas, it's over 20%. In those markets, eventually the forbearance is going to be a problem, right? The jobs are not coming back. So I'm suspecting that we are going to have the opportunities you said in your intro to take over some assets subject to in the single mm-hmm. family market. And as investors, we will be able to do that. And unlike the commercial market we just talked about, we'll be able to get rates that we as investors can't get right? Because we'll be taking over owner-occupant debt, which mm-hmm. could be in the low threes. Um, do you see that as something that's potentially possible late next year, middle of next year? You know, if you can't sell the houses. So subject yes, to correct. only becomes a viable model when you have a distressed seller that cannot otherwise sell the home. Now, from what I understand, the Vegas market is still red hot right now. So the question is, will the jobs come back and when will they come back? And I think, I think Vegas will rebound as soon as vaccines and treatments. I think, you know, Vegas is Vegas. People love Vegas and they're going to be back as soon as they can convention business, as soon as it's safe to do so. Yeah. That's, that's a V-shaped market right there. They're going to come back instantly. New York, not so much. San Francisco, not so much. Seattle, Chicago, those types of cities, very different animal, but Vegas, that's like Disneyland. You know, as soon as you open Disneyland back up, people are going to be there if they don't have to wear masks and it's safe. And, you know, we've, we've got vaccine and treatments. They don't have to worry about the virus. So that's an interesting question there in terms of the Vegas market and what that'll do. Um, the one thing to watch for the housing market in general is, you know, our um, interest rates, right? Interest rates is what controls the housing market. And if you look at rates back in 2018, you know, rates were almost twice as much as they are now. It doesn't seem, it's like, how can they be twice as much? It was almost like, you know, what, 5%? We're, we're about 2.8 now. So it was right at about almost double what the rates are now. But housing prices have not doubled since then, which is interesting. They've gone up, you know, 10, 15, 20%, whatever it is. They haven't doubled, although the rates have been cut in half. So what the interesting thing is, if rates double from here, housing prices could potentially get cut in half. So that is one way that the housing market could drop 50%. What's going to raise interest rates? Yields on treasuries. When treasuries go up, when the government starts borrowing money, you know, if we get this huge stimulus, stimulus, which again, stimulus is life support. It's not stimulus. It's not, it's not going to stimulate anything. It's just keeping us alive, you know. Um, but there's going to be need, more money to, needed to be spent to stimulate the economy to actually produce growth. And when that happens, the government has to issue more treasuries and when the government's issuing more treasuries, the only way they're going to get buyers is they have to issue at higher rates. Because at some point, buyers are going to be like, wait a minute, there's too many of these things. I need more incentive to buy them. And they're going to compare that investment with bonds and mortgage bonds and all that stuff. So that's what drives mortgage rates up. So if we start to see that, then you could have a real problem, you know, when you factor in, you know, forbearance and things like that. Although 
you know, participation in that program's down. Mm-hmm. You know, people just took a big, you know, a payment holiday is what they did. Um, and, you know, the lenders are not at the end of that forbearance period, which is just putting the brakes on. It's just saying, look, don't make your payment. It's not, it's not uh, default. It's not foreclosure. It's just don't worry about your payments. But at the end of that, something has to happen. You either pay it, whatever the back payments were, or you rework the mortgage. So all the lenders are reworking the mortgages. They're not foreclosing. So that whole mortgage forbearance default bomb that everybody thinks is going to happen isn't going to happen. <clears throat> if you have a loan and you can afford to make that payment, but you, wouldn't, you couldn't afford to make it in the previous six months, or when we get to the end of this cycle you know, of the forbearance period, which is supposed to be the end of the year, um, and you can't make the payments, they're going to keep you going. They're not going to start a foreclosure wave because it's not in the best interest of anybody to do that, especially when you have the government behind you backing everything up and propping it up and, um, you know, continuing to perpetuate that. So I don't think the forbearance issue is going to be as big as everybody thinks it is. Yeah, I am, agree with you 100%. I've done multiple videos on it. It's. It, I don't think the forbearance and the eviction crisis is going to be nearly as bad as people are you know, seeing it's going to be in the 2021 crash. I do think it will have compounding effects like in San Francisco, mm-hmm. right? San Francisco's already, you know, listings are up, price cuts are happening. So yeah. when you have a market that's already softening and people are losing equity, which is really what you talked about with interest rates rising, people are losing equity with prices coming yeah. down. And then you have the person that's sitting there going, hey, I took out a $1.8 million loan for my, you know, piece of junk 1950s home. And now it's worth 1.6. Boom. Then, you, then you're talking strategic default like we did back in 06, 07, 08. Maybe if they can't afford it. The thing right. is that's very different is if you borrowed it 2.8, 2.5, you know, 3%, you're not going to get that loan amount anymore. So mm-hmm. it may, for some people, yeah. it'll make sense for them, even if their house value is going down, they got to live somewhere. Right. They got the house of their dreams. They want it. So as long as the payment still works, they're going to stay in the house. The problem with the strategic default was, interest rates were going up. A lot of the loans were adjustable rate mortgages. So people's payments were going up. So the strategic default was, wait a minute, my payment's going up. My value's coming down. I can buy the house across the street for half as much. Why stay in this house? Yeah. So that's not going to happen this time. You know, well, there's one other, there's one other wrinkle though. Uh, There's one more wrinkle and that is employment. We -hmm. are seeing the tech industry vacate San Francisco. Yeah, so your employers are going. Hey, no longer have to work here. You know, we're going to shut down our office, work from home. We are seeing significant exodus from San Francisco. So you, yeah, you throw so that's that. That's a different. On... That's a different question. So that's sure. a demand issue. So mm-hmm. if your if your demand side of the equation goes away, then yeah, you know, then all bets are off, and people may potentially walk away from a house if there's no buyers, no whatever, no job. Why stay in San Francisco? But. Mm-hmm. Are they really going to leave if they can, you know, if they don't, you know, they don't have to be there. They don't have to move. So yeah, that's, that, that's a different animal. You know, it's kind of like New York, you know, yep. it's, you know, it's a whole different ballgame. Very cool. So I kind of summarize this portion up where we see really great opportunity is a lot of businesses are going to open next year, have a chance to get record leases, right? Five, six, seven year leases at much mm-hmm. better rates. Uh, I do like you expect lots and lots of grand openings next year. Um, you know, I think that's going to be a tremendous thing. I think there will be tremendous opportunity in the commercial market, either getting a new equity or restructuring debt, single family, you know, it's probably a different story, maybe not as much of an opportunity, but that's probably a good thing. Again, I don't see 2020 or 2021 pain being in single family. It's, it's commercial and it's business creation. Is that a fair summary? 
Absolutely. And I mean, here's the good news. Once we get the virus under control, vaccine treatments, the economy is going to come roaring back. Everybody wants to get out. Everybody wants to travel. Everybody wants to go back to the movies. You know, they just want to make sure it's safe. Yeah. Schools reopening. So boom, we're off to the races once you get this thing out of the way. And the government's going to throw as much cash as they need to to help make that happen and, and bring the economy back fast. Very, very cool, Greg. Well, thank you very much for doing this. This was the opportunity side, folks. Just so you know, there will be a video number two where we talk about the pain. We do have some pain to get through. So we're going to highlight where that is. And uh, we'll talk about that in the next video. Thank you very much, Greg.